missing the forest for the mature trees. This week, we're talking about zoning. And if your eyes glaze over and you're uninterested, well, survey says you're in the majority. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 224. We are back again after the break. And Mac, I know the listener can't see it because this is a podcast and that's how audio works. But yeah. you're in somewhere different today. Yeah, Taproot's been working out of uh, Work Nicer's two Edmonton locations for a little while. And they have these funky booths that I'm sure you've seen pop up in offices or at least in the, the media about offices. And so I'm this, in this little cage, I guess you'd call it. I mean, there's a nice clear window and everything on it. But hopefully it sounds nice and soundproof because that's kind of the goal. Granted, we're going to be talking about zoning. So whether or not you're in a physical cage, it's going to feel like you're in a emotional cage as we batter you down with the dull, dull tones of zoning. But of course, that comes after the rapid fire segment. The longest day of the year was this week, but this year it wasn't on June 21st, the summer solstice, but a day earlier when city council decided to hear from over 70 speakers about zoning. By the time the next episode of Speaking Municipally airs, Edmonton property taxes will be due. Residents are reminded not to be late with payments. Taxes are due June 30th, and a late fee will be levied on outstanding accounts July 1st, as that is when the loan payment on Mayor Sohi's 15-story, gold-cladded, landlocked superyacht is due, and a repossession would mean he would have to take public transit over the river instead. Only six weeks after reopening, the City of Edmonton's solar rebate program is fully subscribed and closed. For good. The $1.96 million in funding was enough to install solar on an additional 700 Edmontonians' homes, which means that only 999,300 people need to signal their interest before city manager Andre Corbald will start including climate change funding in the city budget. Speaking Municipally is a publication of Taproot Edmonton, and this episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. You've heard them on the show before. They're back, and we're glad to have them. Want to feel great about your city? Check out the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed podcast. If you live in Edmonton, chances are you've been touched by the work being done with the support ECF provides to the city's shakers, movers, and doers. On the Well Endowed podcast, you'll hear stories about ECF's donors and grantees and all the ways they use this support to build and sustain social initiatives, empower youth, strengthen arts and culture, and so much more. Hear these stories about our local heroes and community builders at thewellendowedpodcast.com, or you can find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. So Mac, this week, I did not predict that the zoning bylaw renewal procedural update would be such a big news item that would dominate both headlines and my time over the week. But alas, I have been wrong before. (laughs) And wrong again. Uh, Well, zoning bylaw is getting closer to the finish line. So I suppose it makes sense that it would start to garner a bit more attention. This was, as you point out, the sort of not very ominously named update number six. Like they've done a bunch of these updates on the zoning bylaw renewal initiative over the last several years. And this is just the latest one. But it is a big update, I suppose, because now there's a draft that is ready for public consumption. And it is the final draft that the public will have an opportunity to provide input on until we get to public hearing, which is currently planned for October of this year. So, you know, as we get closer to that time frame, it makes sense that some attention would be paid to where we're at. And so the zoning bylaw renewal as it is today, the new zoning bylaw that has been drafted won't change dramatically, I think it's fair to say, from now until the time that it gets passed. I think there's many people out there, and you heard many of them uh, in your marathon meeting this week, who would like to see some changes. But 
I kind of picked up on, you know, another thread that we'll get into later, which is just that this is a long overdue change. Our zoning bylaw has not been updated in quite some time. We've had updates in, say, 2001 and 2017 and other things, but substantially, the zoning bylaw that we've got today is similar to what we had in the 1960s or maybe the 1980s, if we count that uh, that update, right? So at 850 pages, the new zoning bylaw is a lot to get into. And you know, you and I love to get into the weeds on some of this stuff. We're going to hold off on that for now. We'll get an adult in on the podcast and really break it down in the future. But for now, let's get a brief overview of what does the zoning bylaw renewal mean? And I think the main pillars of the zoning bylaw renewal come down to simplicity and clarity. It is about simplifying our number of zones and making it clear what it is you can do in each zone. Yeah, currently we've got 46 so-called standard zones and there's more than 1,100 direct control zones and there's overlays and a whole bunch of other things. And the point of this uh, zoning bylaw renewal primarily is to simplify all of that under the guise of reducing red tape. And so we'd end up with 24 standard zones and there would be a sort of pan city across the city rezoning that happens at the same time to move all of these custom things into, you know, the nearest standard zone. There's a reduction in the number of uses that go along with each of these zones. So all of this is aimed at, you know, paring back that sort of monstrosity that it has become with those 800 plus pages and thousands of zones into something that is a little more straightforward for people to understand and uh, certainly for developers and the you know the development industry to be able to move things forward without having to jump through the hoops that they currently need to jump through some of those hoops are good but many of them are just there for you know historical reasons that need to be updated I think, as you said, we'll get into more detail later, but one of the most substantial changes, the one you've probably heard the most about, is the changes to residential zoning. And the big change here is kind of being driven by the city plan, this idea that we need to densify and that our population is you know, on the track toward 2 million people. How are we going to do that? We have to have more infill. Today, under the zoning bylaw, a lot of those infill projects have to be rezoned at a public hearing. And so every time we want to do another one, you know, there's another rezoning application. One of the big changes with the new zoning bylaw is that that'll be allowed in every part of the city up to three stories. So if you're building something up to three stories in a residential zone, you won't have to go through the rezoning hoops anymore. If you want to build something taller, there's still the same process, the same notifications and appeals and all those kinds of things. But this should greatly reduce the friction that comes with building the infill that city plan says we need to help our city grow sustainably. One of the other big changes that um, is a bit more esoteric, it involves the reduction of discretionary uses on zones. And basically, when you have a zone in the zoning ballot, there are two types of uses that are listed, permitted and discretionary. Permitted usage are things that, yeah, you can go ahead and do. If you see the zoning bylaw, you can be sure that you can do this thing. Discretionary uses are up to the discretion of the development authority and the city planners. You know, there can be variances, there can be caveats, and you have to talk with someone at the city to get it. Now, of course, that leads to a lot of developmental uncertainty, because if you're thinking about buying a piece of land, you obviously can't have long discussions with city planners prior to buying it, which can make building something unique or building something specifically tailored to a very niche use case very difficult and red tapey to build. And so the move away from discretionary uses to permitted uses is another really great change that I think really enhances the clarity of the zoning bylaw. Instead of reading the zoning bylaw and seeing, mm, you can maybe do some of these stuff, except it's 
No, these are what you can do with a piece of land. Yeah, I think fewer of these bespoke custom rules uh, applied in our city will just make all of it a whole lot easier to understand. And I think does, you know, match the the sort of simplicity and clarity that city plan and other planning documents have have brought forward as well in terms of where we want to go. And as we've said before on the show, the zoning bylaw is really the way that the city makes the city plan alive, brings it to life. Like that's how we enact the vision of city plan is through zoning. It's the primary tool that a municipality has uh, to, to sort of bring that vision to life. And in fact, uh, the Taproot survey in the past election, we asked the question, what tools do you think city council should use to bring the city plan's 15-minute districts to life? Only Karen Principe didn't answer the survey. Yep. Every other councillor who uh, answered the survey said that at minimum, we should use zoning and some said we should use zoning plus other tools to bring these 15-minute districts to life. So there's really no disagreement on council about the importance of zoning for achieving the city plan, which we've already passed. Right. Uh, we'll get into the weeds in a future episode. Just a couple of other quick things to that I think are worth highlighting about the zoning bylaw. Zoning has been an exclusionary practice in the past, right? Our zoning bylaw has a history of segregation and rules put in place to keep certain types of folks out or to make it less likely that somebody who's low income can build something in an area. And I think an opportunity here to revamp those rules, you know, get rid of the things that no longer reflect what is important to Edmontonians and what our city values should not be overlooked. And so it's a little disappointed that you can read basically any PDF from the city about zoning bylaw just by going to the website and downloading it. But if you want to read their equity toolkit related to the zoning bylaw, you have to give them your email address and they send you a link, which is kind of bizarre. Inequitable even. Inequitable even, exactly. Uh, but that's, a, I think, another positive thing here. Like we, our city has prioritized you know, equity in a lot of different ways. Here's another way that we can help bring that to life. And then we've already done some things like, for example, removing parking minimums and things like that in the past, which the city has been uh, received accolades for. Uh, but there's a lot of that kind of thing, that 1970s, 1960s car culture that is embedded into this zoning bylaw, that uh, this zoning bylaw renewal will have a give us an opportunity to uh, removed so that it reflects, you know, what we think is important today about city building and what we need in the future. Of course, we can exclude the thing that I think is most personally exciting about the ZBR, which is removal of the mature neighborhood overlay. The MNO will be gone with the passage of this bylaw. So the MNO is a relatively new thing, actually, in the grand scheme of things, right, for zoning, at least. So uh, it was adopted in 20, 2001, I think it was, and then updated again in 2017. But Troy, why are you so excited about the removal of the MNO? The Mature Neighborhood Overlay, which is a document that says mature neighborhoods in the core of the city can only ever be exactly the same as they were when this document was passed, is a regressive policy that, in the same way, as Christmas music is just a bunch of boomer classics every year. <laughs> so too is the MNO in franchising. A neighborhood can only look exactly like a boomer preference uh, and it can't be anything else. Of course, it also means that the core neighborhood of our cities where urban yuppies like me like to live, you know, the climate focused individuals, the people who love dense walkable neighborhoods have a neighborhood that's less dense 
than most of suburbia around outside the Hende. Windermere has much higher density than my neighborhood. So the mature neighborhood overlay is one of the things that really prevents this with things like setback restrictions, with uh, lot configurations and site coverage. There's a whole bunch of very specific stipulations in the MNO, and I'm excited to see it go. I want my neighborhood to be no different than other neighborhoods. Absolutely. Well, I understand that most of the overlays are going to be gone. Some will remain, but glad to see the MNO is one of the ones that will be a thing of the past. Of course, I'm not the only person who wants my neighborhood to be a little bit more dense, a little bit more walkable. Uh, Before we get into my adventures at the meeting this week, we want to talk a little bit with another speaker who was there and who wrote an op-ed piece in the Edmonton Journal, and that's author and Westmount resident David Barry. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks very much for having me. So before we get started, uh, you're an author and a Westmount resident. Who are you? Why did you appear on our radar in this issue? Uh... Well, I mean, I guess uh, in addition to that, I'm I'm also a volunteer with the the Westmount Community League uh, in civics. So that was sort of what uh, brought this to the you know fullest of my attention uh, coming up. But yeah, more generally, I mean, I guess I'm by no means any kind of expert on uh, zoning or <laughs> urban issues in general. But uh, I I came back to the city a, a few years ago, uh, right before the pandemic started, and then so I ended up spending a full year basically with nothing whatsoever to do but to walk around the city and uh, just you know remark upon how things were built and how it felt and all that stuff. Uh, and yeah, that was I guess that was the ultimate source of this is just sort of being like, why is it like this, and could it be slightly different? And you have a kid or kids, right? So you have yeah. maybe some thought about the future of the city for them. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, that that was a big one. Speaking of the pandemic, you want to talk about thinking about the future. That was a, a real big theme uh, of those years. I'm uh, a little ashamed to admit this, but I moved uh, back here from Toronto. So don't hold it against me too much. But um, uh, obviously, like that city in the last, you know, I lived there for about a decade and the issues facing it are just insane. There are parts where it can almost feel like it's trending towards a failed city just because it it hasn't really tried to take on some of its, you know, really foundational problems. It's getting a little better, uh, I should say. But so that was just a huge concern in Edmonton was like, you know, will they be able to afford a house in 25 years when it comes time for that? Um, You know, what are they going to do when, you know, either gas is five bucks a liter or, electric vehicles, uh, you know, start at 75 grand. Uh, How are they going to get around? Uh, Are they going to want to stay here? Because, you know, that was a a question that I faced when I was younger. And uh, I answered in the negative before I came back. So yeah, like, um, it's all just this big stew uh, that I guess I personally found could be uh, certainly not solved, but definitely kind of addressed by a lot of the big things the city's talking about, whether it's the city plan or, or you know, the zoning bylaw renewal. And what brought you back to Edmonton? What was it that made you decide, I'm going to go back to that place that I wanted to escape from? <laughs> was it the Cactus Club? Yeah, it was, it was just like, <laughs> I hear they've got two now. That's it. That's All my entertainment options are solved. No, I, I mean, like the family was, I mean, the big source of it. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd had one daughter at the time. I had, you know, parents on both sides who were starting to get up there and need a little help. Although, and But frankly, you know, I also need a little help uh, mm-hmm. with it. But yeah, so that was, I guess that was the big one. I, again, an underlying factor was kind of just looking around in Toronto and being like, it's not going to be easy for us to live here. We're not, you know, investment bankers or, you know, members of the Tory family. So... <laughs> The Edmonton was certainly uh, a little more attractive, a little bit easier to live in, uh, or so it seemed at the time. 
So in this case, Alberta was actually calling for you. It did. It was. Uh, it sounded remarkably like my mother's voice, but yeah, thanks. So you wrote an op-ed for the Edmonton Journal, and the headline was, Zoning Changes Will Fix Serious Problems and Make Edmonton Nicer. Uh, so I'm gathering but from that headline that it was probably supportive of the zoning bylaw renewal changes. Uh, what inspired you to write this? What were you seeing looking around that made you think, geez, I need to write an opinion article for a newspaper. I guess to me, it's two big things. You know, obviously the kernel of it is just that, again, I'm not an expert on these things, but having paid attention and, and learned a bit more over the last few years, I really do just genuinely think that given the problems the city, the country, you know, the world are facing, this is a big thing that we can do to help address those. Also, uh, again, apologies for referencing Toronto. I promise I'll stop soon. But having lived in a place that was like just a little bit denser than any neighborhood I could find in Edmonton, I guess I had firsthand experience with like what this means and what kind of things you get out of it. And, you know, I, I really think most people, if they got a chance to experience that or, and could afford to experience that, I think they would sort of generally be pretty supportive of these things. Um, and then more, you know, urgently, I guess, as I said, I, I'm the civics director at, at Westmount. And so I, I saw a lot of commentary coming out from people who are pretty concerned a, about the changes. And I mean, like the concern is is one thing, but related to that, I, I think I saw a lot of misinformation or just slightly misguided people. And then especially just a lot of things that, you know, frankly, seem to to be trying to stoke some fear that didn't don't really seem all that realistic to me. And so I guess I just thought it was important to, you know, tell people, look, this isn't the end of the world. These are pretty minor things that I think are going to make our city a lot better. And was it similar reasons that led you to want to go and say that to council? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, again, I just, you know, I, I definitely saw that these the, the people on the other side of this were, were getting quite organized and, and putting their voice out there. And obviously, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of people getting involved in municipal affairs um, as much as possible. But I just didn't, you know, I, I, well, I thought it was important for them to hear from the other side, too, and, and to understand it, it's not just the development industry that, that wants to see this, uh, as you know, I'm, I'm no particular fan of the development industry, uh, unless they're doing what I want them to do. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as is the case here. But yeah, I just I just thought it was important that, you know, like, as a pretty regular person, to the degree that that's possible in Edmonton, I think these are good. And I want them to to make these changes. Have you spoken at council before? Uh, no, I've attended the odd council meeting, but I've never actually got up and said anything. Do you feel like you you were heard by council? Do you feel like your comments landed with any degree of impact? Oh, that's a great question. I have, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think Tim Cartmall smiled when I mentioned I was a soccer coach. So okay. <laughs> I, you know, to the degree that one got through, I suppose. I can't tell. I mean, I, I have to assume that you know, uh, they they saw the op-ed. Uh, I've definitely heard from other people around uh, than it, that it seemed to have some effect on them. I, you'd have to ask the counselors if what I said meant anything to them. But uh, yeah. I want to shift a little bit. So you, you mentioned you live in, in Westmount. You spent the pandemic walking around. What are some of the things you've seen around your travels in Edmonton since you've been back that you think the changes to the zoning bylaw could help us see more of that are positive? You know, one of the biggest things to me, and this is nothing against any of the other fabulous neighborhoods uh, in Edmonton, but like Westmount strikes me as one of the few neighborhoods where walking around uh, is like a viable option. 
part of it's through things that have nothing to do with recent changes. It's we were lucky enough to have a main street built, you know, when those things were still being built. We have been lucky enough to have like small apartment buildings and condos kind of trickle in over the years, which just puts more people around, makes more businesses and things like that viable. Like, I think that to me is, is just the basic thing. It's, it's what can I do in my neighborhood? On the one hand, it's wonderful entertainment things like, you know, some breweries have opened up nearby. Uh, there's great restaurants and the Duchess Bakery, things like that. But I mean, it's on a really more basic level. It's like, well, my children's daycare is, uh, you know, a short walk away. We can go get groceries uh, if I need to, if I need to run out, you know, on my lunch hour or something, it's right there. Even just little things like clothing stores that have opened up or, you know, those kind of specialty little bits that it's very nice to not have to go drive to 137th Ave or West Ed or something just to, you know, get a t-shirt. <laughs> it's really those little things that I think really make a neighborhood feel a lot more lively. And again, that I think are really only possible when you start to have uh, just a few more people around. Again, like not, you know, we, we don't really have any 20-story towers uh, in my neighborhood, um, but we do have, you know, a lot of uh, four-story apartment buildings or little condo things that have been built even just on the other side of, of 124th and Oliver or, you know, in Queen Mary Park. And it's all those little things that have helped us, I think, create just a, a really great sense of community. You're not concerned that the government won't let you out of the district then, I take it? <laughs> I welcome them putting a, a chain of fence <laughs> around my neighborhood so that I can never leave. It would save me from so much uh, social embarrassment. We had heard some responses that, uh, you know, the development industry is in favor of the zoning bylaw renewal or, you know, insiders are in favor of the zoning bylaw renewal, but regular Edmontonians, in fact, are not. And it struck me as quite odd that when you posted your op-ed, I was seeing accusations floating around on Twitter that you, in fact, wrote the zoning bylaw renewal and were a development industry plant. What what happened there? I truly have no idea like where this even started. I mean, I like I should say like I'm uh, I'm a writer. I do freelance work all the time. I think I have my client list on my website and the LinkedIn. So I don't know if someone saw something there that got spun up, but I do maybe think it's a bit unfortunately revealing of a certain mindset that some people have, which is that like. If you are not opposed to this, if, if you're not yelling about the trees and uh, shade in your neighborhood, then uh, you must be with the development industry because how could anyone like something like this? But yeah, I, I am truly baffled. I honestly don't. I do not know where that came from. If anyone has any tips, uh, please let me know. <laughs> Whatever else is going on here, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that everyone is operating with some degree of good faith here. I respect that I like these things. I understand absolutely why someone would not want changes to their neighborhood. I guess to me, I, I think of this almost like that, uh, you know, the parable about planting a tree. The best time to build like a walkable, mixed use, medium density neighborhood was like when these neighborhoods were actually built. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second best time is now, <laughs> like you know, so I don't relish the change that that's coming here. I just sort of think it's, it's necessary and, and will be positive. So I, I hope that, you know, people uh, can just come to accept that we just have different views of this and that like, you know, I, I'm not a sock puppet or anything like that. I'm, I'm just a dude who likes to be able to walk to things. 
I mean, surely the real impact here is lightening the load on our counselors because they'll have so many fewer rezonings to have to consider at public hearing. <laughs> That's probably why they're in favor of this. Uh, uh, I just... I'm sure. Although I do, <laughs> I do think I get that like the, there is something to not making lives easier for counselors. I'm certainly not yeah. in favor of any of that. But just like <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think there is a world, too, where this leads to better development just by virtue of the fact that like, yeah, if we don't have to talk about putting a duplex in where there's a single family home right now, then mm -hmm. we can spend a bit more time talking about like, oh, well, this, you know, proposed 80 story tower downtown is maybe dumb and a waste of money and should never be, a pr you know, and uh, I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, be naive or overly supportive of city council and administration, but like, I would hope that freeing up a bit of time will let us have the more major developments have a bit more debate and end up at a place where those are more of a boon to the city as opposed to just something that is frantically passed because it's one of 16 things that they're debating that day. Well, David, you mentioned you, uh, obviously you wrote the op-ed, you spoke to council, you mentioned that you might try to find some other things to get the message out there. What have you got in mind? What should uh, listeners look forward to from you as the, the rest of this renewal initiative unfolds? Oh, sure. Well, um, uh, in the wake of the op-ed, some people reached out and we've put together a little thing called uh, Grow Together Yeg, which is currently just an email address and a Twitter account. But the reason why I was interested in it is, is hopefully just trying to get a little more information about like the benefits of this kind of stuff. It was one thing that struck me hearing people talk about this. So many of their concerns were, I mean, I think kind of directly addressed by the zoning issue or are like the best shot we have at, at dealing with these things comes from zoning. Like the environmental one is, is obviously a huge one. Affordability is a much thornier issue, but also could be here. So I think I'd like to really try to get more information to people about that kind of stuff. And again, especially as someone who, you know, just kind of came to this randomly, I, I, I hope I could help people find their way to, to why these are important. And then, um, yeah, beyond that, there might be something else personally from me uh, in the future. I do have a book to write, so I got to be mindful of that. But I also just like anyone listening to this is, I assume, pretty municipally involved. Uh, and I'd really encourage you, if you are in favor of this in any way, like just drop a note to your counselor. It doesn't need to be anything fancy. Just say, I support this, maybe give a personal reason why, whatever that personal reason is to you. If these are the kinds of things you want to see in the city, we really do got to get out there. Because I think as we've seen, the people who do not want this are, um, you know, organized and active and uh, out there. So I just, I'd encourage anyone, whatever you do, if you want to come follow Grow Together Yeg on Twitter, or if you want to just write your counselor and say, please, please support this, just do something. Thank you, David. That's, uh, it was great to hear your perspective. Appreciate you taking the initiative, getting involved, and uh, you know, spreading your viewpoint on this to council and, and others. Your website's thedavidberry.com. You've mentioned Grow Together Yeg. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I think Upcoming that, well, book. you know what? Uh, <laughs> Twice Cream, the ice cream shop in our neighborhood is very good. Uh, I know there's you have so many ice cream options these days, but please come out uh, and support that because I would like it to remain open. And the uh, cafe right next to it. Sabor de los Andes. They had a great food truck and they're a great cafe. So come to those. Awesome. Thank you. Cheers. Well, Troy, uh, I was glad to hear from David and read his op-ed. But you, I saw when I was away last week, were actually at council, not just to listen in as you often do, to be able to report to our listeners what happened, but you were on the panel. You were one of the speakers. 
why? Why subject yourself to this? <laughs> you know, Mac, it's been... I definitely haven't spoken to city council since the before times. Um, so it's yeah. been at least a few years since I've spoken to city council. And the main reason is I don't want to. It's not a great experience. I burned my entire day and more on this. But the elephant in the room this week was we had concerted and organized opposition to the zoning bylaw renewal spearheaded by uh, Kevin Taft, the former uh, Alberta liberal leader and past MLA in Alberta. He was organizing against the zoning bylaw renewal. He was organizing a bunch of, I'll call them NIMBYs, who they support density, but, and then the but is everything. I was quite nervous because there were several op-eds in uh, the journal, in other newspapers, and there was a growing sentiment on social media that they were going to show up. We saw Kevin Taft doing press conferences. It felt like this was going to be a big thing. Like they were going to show up en masse and council was going to hear only one thing and we risked throwing the zoning bylaw in the trash. So I thought this is one, supposed to be just a procedural update on the zoning bylaw renewal. So there's no situation where I can go there and win, but there was the potential that if we people who support this zoning bylaw renewal didn't show up on mass as well. We had the severe potential of losing the zoning bylaw renewal delayed a year, massively changed any number of other things. So I did my civic due diligence and I went and showed up and I wasn't alone. Um, there was a lot of people just like me doing that. Well, and as you've said before on the show, council for better or worse tends to listen more to the people literally in front of them in the room or on the Zoom call than, you know, the maybe hundreds of emails or social media comments that are out there. So it is impactful anytime you can have the ability to go and speak to council. I want to ask you two questions about that to start. So one is about Kevin Taft, and and uh, maybe I'm asking you to speculate a little bit here, but this is a man who's written a book about how the oil industry has prevented governments in Canada and Alberta from being able to address climate change. Like he's someone who seems to have positioned himself as on the side of fighting climate change. It's bizarre to me that he would be organizing against the primary tool that a municipality has to sort of address climate change through the way that it builds um, its city. So why like, why do you think he's organized and, and the people that are supporting him have organized against this? Well, I think there's a couple things to consider. And the first is exactly what David mentioned earlier, that there's a lot of very bad information. I have no doubt that many of the speakers op organizing against the zoning bylaw renewal um, we're operating in good faith. For example, one of the speakers, people will know her on the uh, stream as the bird lady. She did a very, I'll say, uncompelling speech about how if we adopt this new zoning bylaw renewal, um, it's going to destroy all the birds in the neighborhood and it's going to be an ecological disaster. Now, the thing is, I'm personally a real big fan of her. Uh, her name's Melissa, and she organizes this great service where she'll come to your yard and set it up with native plants and give you suggestions for how you can encourage more birds and wildlife to show up. It's very great stuff and it helps bolster the local ecology of Edmonton. So once again, heart 100% in the right place. This is a person who independently of this meeting, I agree with on a lot of things, but she thought there's going to be eight story high rises next to her building. Uh, it was based on a premise that didn't fully understand zoning bylaw renewal. And I don't falter for that. Once again, our, all of our eyes glaze over when we talk about zoning. But this is the risk 
there has been a stoked anger by a few select individuals that, you know, if you hear any house in Edmonton can have an eight-story building pop up beside it, that's going to scare you. And this was so scary, in fact, that in administration's presentation, they addressed most of the comments they had seen online from people like, for example, Belmac Group, who had been organizing for this, and saying, no, we're not going to allow eight-story buildings. No, this isn't going to allow developers to run roughshod over regulations. They addressed a lot of the misconceptions that they'd seen. And I think that's the story. Most of the speakers in opposition were climate people. They wanted to fight climate change. They did want density in the city, but they said, you know, the right type of density. They had their hearts generally in the right place, but either they weren't willing to go far enough or they had misinformation or any number of things like that. And I think Kevin Taft, being an opposition MLA his entire time, has been able to spot people organizable, people who are have the same sort of feelings, but aren't quite organized. And he has the ability to organize them together. And that's why he's been successful as a politician. And I think that's the opportunity you saw. And it's unfortunate because he capitalized, in my opinion, on the wrong side of the issue. I saw even city manager Andre Colbold wrote a letter uh, to the editor of the journal in response to Kevin Taft's op-ed, again, trying to fight that misinformation, which he doesn't always do. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So then my second question is, given all of that, is there really a concern here? Like, was there really a risk that this was going to be delayed? Because my read on this is that councillors do know that this is not about allowing eight-story buildings everywhere. They've been talking about this for years. Some of them, like Ann Stevenson, have worked on this, actually, before she was a councillor. They understand what's going on here. This is pretty far along in the process, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, this work began five, six years ago, right? Is there really a risk that somebody like Kevin Taft makes some noise at a committee meeting and it derails the whole thing? And the other the other factor I'm thinking about is the development industry is actually on board with this. Yes, they want maybe some minor changes. And, you know, UDI has said, well, it'd be better if you did these things, but they don't want this to stop. And the development industry is a pretty powerful lobby group. They, you know, have the ear of counsel, I think it's fair to say, most of the time. It seems really unlikely to me that somebody like Kevin Taft gets organized and makes some noise and that it actually materially changes anything. Well, so I think the risk was never about changing the zoning bylaw renewal because, again, the complaints that we saw weren't real. But the big through line that had some compelling arguments behind it were what I call the consultation cudgel. It's the thing that you can beat any project to death with because with enough consultation, no project will succeed. Mm. Um, And this is what they were asking for, is they were saying, we don't want to stop the zoning bylaw renewal, but we need to put the brakes on and we need to consult on this. People were not meaningfully consulted about this. And now that's a very big risk as a counselor saying, no, indeed, I don't wish to consult my constituents any further. That's a hard political line to tow. So in order for council to ignore these concerns and proceed, council need to have sufficient evidence that consultation has occurred in a broad and wide manner. So speakers at council, it wasn't talking about how great the zoning bylaw renewal is. It's instead saying how great the consultation of the zoning bylaw renewal was. That's what gets us moving forward on track. What happened with Councillor Salvador? Because I understand she tried to address this you know, lack of engagement, lack of awareness about, you know, the zoning bylaw renewal, what it means, and and kind of equated it, as David, I think, suggested, to how many people get out to vote. Yeah. And so I think this was actually Kevin Taft's biggest error 
in council is he really mismanaged this interaction. So when Councillor Salvador was asking some questions of Kevin Taft, she wanted to understand, did we have enough consultation? And Kevin Taft's survey, which he did actually misreport in the comments, he said only 35% of Edmontonians had heard of the uh, zoning ballot rule when actually his survey said it was 38%. 38% was also the voter turnout in the last municipal election. I think that's a pretty compelling argument. And Councillor Salvador put that to him. And that's when it started going a little bit south. When she made that comment, there were loud jeers and like almost boos from the audience. At that point, Karen Tang, the chair, said, whoa, 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 let's not disrupt the chamber. And then Councillor Rutherford took it a step further, raised a point of order and said, we have the authority to eject people who are being disruptive. So let's not let any of that happen. And I think at that point, you know, people in the audience realized that it was serious. But Kevin Taft, didn't quite back off. And he started threatening Councillor Salvador, basically. He said, sure, you may have these comments about the vote, but politician to politician, I think the voters will indicate their displeasure with you uh, going forward. It was a bit of like an electoral threat. It wasn't much, um, but he doubled down on that later and he made further jibes against Councillor Salvador. And I think the real thing that's not a great look here is like, Councillor Salvador is the youngest woman city councillor, I'm pretty sure ever, but at least in recent memory. And she has a huge background in urban planning. She has a huge background in densification and climate focus. So to attack her comes off as very misogynistic, very out of touch. And I think a lot of us were seeing that in that discussion. And, you know, when he said that, it made one look around the room and see the supporters, the people who were jeering, Their hair was white. Their skin was weathered. There was a certain age demographic and there was a certain race demographic. And there was a very clear type of person that was opposing this type of change. At least in the room. At least in the room. So when you had Councillor Salvador making very salient points based on data, based on data that they brought forward, and you saw this sort of callous, almost misogynistic dismissal and this generational gap between Councillor Salvador and the people, you know, ostensibly threatening her, it wasn't a good look. And I think that was a pretty pivotal point where they started losing people in the room, like, for example, Councillor Tim Cartmel, who started the meeting, I would say, a bit on side with these people. And towards the end, wasn't. I think he said that, you know, he and his colleagues have been trying for years to get people to talk about zoning and about the zoning by renewal. And he's found it a real challenge to get people interested and engaged, right? Yeah. And one of the really interesting things about Tim Cartmel, who, you know, uh, we have said comments about Tim Cartmel and, you know, not being on council's side on past episodes. He really nailed this meeting. Um, I was very impressed with Tim Cartmel throughout the entire meeting. But one of the things is if you listen to his comments at the start of the meeting, it really sounded like he was angling towards aligning zoning bylaw renewal with district planning. District planning would be, you know, okay, there's the white district, there's the Millwoods district. It's almost like an overlay on the zoning bylaw renewal, which would be given all these zones, here's what we intend to do with these zones in different areas of the city in terms of nodes and corridors and other things. So he, at the start of the meeting, in his comments, it sounded like he wanted to align zoning bylaw renewal and district planning, which would be delaying zoning bylaw renewal by about a year. That's the sense I was getting from him at the start of the meeting. And that's what a lot of the speakers were asking for. 
But the interesting thing to me is it appeared to me as if the speakers actually convinced him not to go that route. As he discussed with the speakers, he's like, oh, actually, this is a bad plan. And by the end of the meeting, he was perfectly aligned behind not doing that. Now, I'm not saying he definitely was. That was the tenor of the comments that I was getting, and it definitely shifted as the meeting progressed. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we can continue to make changes even after this new zoning bylaw is adopted. I mean, if it helps to, you know, make the counselors feel better about it, we could call it a pilot and then, you know, (laughs) we could just keep making changes. Uh, So, Troy, I gather that you told council that you think we should move forward, that you'd like to see, you know, the zoning bylaw renewal happen. What else did you say in your remarks? And, you know, just as I asked David, I'll ask you, do you feel like they heard you? Well, I have a bit more, I'll say, experience with city council than David. And I will say... And they they, they have to listen to you every week. They don't have to listen to David regularly. So For, for sure. Um, my comments absolutely did not matter. Um, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to be real. The value of me showing up there was not that my five minutes said anything of value. The value of me speaking was I was another counter in the four column to offset the against column. That was why I was there. And I mean, Councillor Paquette, towards the end of it, it was after dinner break. So Council was feeling a little bit refreshed. He asked me a few follow-up questions. He didn't have to. They weren't really that valuable. I wouldn't say that my comments had any particular resonance with Edmonton City Council. I did speak quite highly of them, which was abnormal for me. Mm. But I mean, basically... My comments were administration has done an unprecedented job uh, with consultation. And I'll add here, the level of consultation done on this zoning ballot renewal, not only have they done the typical like online info sessions, pop-ups at rec centers and whatever, they've produced a podcast that cost $100,000. They've produced coloring (laughs) books for kids, an entire video series on YouTube, and they mailed out 400,000 notices about zoning ballot renewal with everyone's property taxes bill. It is literally not possible for administration to have done more consultation on this. And so, you know, the time of my comments was, good job, guys. Pat yourselves on the back. Let's continue as planned. You know, I I think they were refreshed that I came in there and wasn't sarcastic. Hmm. But did my comments matter? No. No, they did not, Mac. And did uh, Councillor Paquette have high praise for our show? Thank you for this. I'm out of time. But from the heart, I have to say I've heard your show and sometimes I find it absolutely aggravating. Okay. So thank you for that. Thanks for ending on that note. Um. Uh, mm. So, you know, um, maybe we don't have fans on that side of the table, but I will say in chambers, whole host of city staff members came up and said, are you Troy? Love the show. Great show. Nice. Uh, so shout out to all of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with you that they've done an extensive amount of consultation. I think it's, as you pointed out, the easy thing to do to complain that we weren't engaged when you don't like something. And that happens frequently when it comes to city projects. I think where perhaps for you city folks listening, we could have done a better job on this is around jargon and around the language. And, you know, as you point out, sending all of those notices to four, you know 400,000 people with the property notices is a great thing. But if it's all gobbledygook when you get it. It's hard for that to land with the same kind of impact, right? Zoning as a word doesn't really mean 
much to the average person. I've I've seen the word rule book used a little bit more uh, lately, which I think is a positive change. But you know, calling this zoning bylaw renewal from the beginning kind of immediately creates some barriers for people. And we talked about with David, you know, that that form of um, equity and privilege, right? That certain people like you can go to council and can can talk, and not everybody can. And I think the language that we use, the wording that we use, is, is another thing. Like. I think if the city kept the explain it like I'm five in mind a little bit more uh, when it comes to these kinds of things, we might have been able to reach a few more people. I'm not saying, you know, we would have materially moved up from the 38% or anything like that, but that could have been a small improvement perhaps that would make the engagement feel a little more uh, successful. The other thing I'll say is that I don't know how good of a service we are doing when we're talking about it as zones and as the zoning bylaw. And what I mean by that is like, you know, if I as a individual, I as Troy want to build a house and I want to use my hammer and saw to do it, it is really hard to get a bare plot of land and just build something. Sure. The mechanics of it is pretty easy, but zoning bylaws are very, very difficult to interface with. There are things that are permitted, things that are unpermitted. You need to know the difference between a building permit and a development permit. And then there's, you know, discretionary and permitted usage It is exceptionally difficult to navigate because basically our zoning bylaws are written for developers. Yeah. Individual people are not generally building their own homes. And when they are, they're going through a contractor or someone who is a developer building it for them. So I do wonder at the end of the day, you know, we're going through these efforts to communicate what zoning bylaws mean to the individual homeowner. But in practice, they don't really mean a lot. And they don't need to know, right? On a day-to-day basis. Like, do you need to know what zone you're in? No. And I mean, like the other part of it is, sure, you know, it affects how Houses can be built in your neighborhood and how your neighborhood might look. But your neighborhood's not going to look like that for 20, 30 years, right? The zoning bylaw is a tool to allow developers to build new types of housing and to build up Edmonton's core. But, you know, if you look across the city right now where my area, like Richie and Hazeldean, they're already zoned RF3. So what that means is functionally the new zoning bylaw isn't going to permit a whole bunch more than is already permissible here. And yet there's a handful of infill sites every year. The speed at which change will occur here is the same as when we removed parking minimums. It wasn't overnight all parking disappeared from the city. I don't know about you. I can't notice any perceptible difference from the city a couple years ago before we removed parking minimums to now. There's a couple businesses that have been allowed to open that wouldn't have been able to open. That's it. And maybe some residential things that have been built, but like not really noticeable. You're right. And that's, I think, the exact story of the zoning bylaw. We absolutely did need to do it. We absolutely did need to update this document that's 50 years old. But transformational change isn't going to come immediately after this document is updated. And I, I think the idea that if we didn't update the zoning bylaw renewal document, if we didn't do this whole process, that all of our neighborhoods would stay the same 15, 20 years from now? Well, area redevelopment plans get redone every 20 years anyway. Like, our current modus operandi is to change the city every 15, 20 years. So functionally, I don't know that we've actually done anything very different other than simplified a document. And, you know, lay the groundwork, hopefully, for For a positive change in the future. Because as you say, it's not an overnight type of impact. This is a 
a longer game we're playing here. City building is a long-term sport, as they say. Okay, well, you spoke, Troy, and we heard from David. Any other highlights from the meeting before we wrap up that you want to share? You know, with 70-plus speakers, you're going to get a few characters that speak. Um, Some of the highlights, of course, were uh, the children. You know in horror movies when, like, (laughs) children's have this sort of, like, choral tones and, like, their eyes are sunken as they're staring off into the distance singing some sort of song? Yeah, it sounded like that, but it was about zoning bylaw renewal to the tune of This Land Is Our Land. We want density, but with affordability. We want growth, but with environmental action. We want renewal, not dominated by industry. This process is not for you and me. Was a full... (laughs) Minute and 45 seconds, uh, longest minute and 45 I've ever experienced. Um, but that was that was definitely a fun piece. Were they singing in support of Zoning Bylaw or not? Well, if you looked at the actual words of the song, it sounded supportive of Zoning Bylaw Renewal. However, the presentation it came from was absolutely <laughs> not supportive, which I think does describe a lot of the speakers they say what they want, and what they do want is the zoning bylaw renewal, but they're convinced they don't want that. Sure. Um, so that was one of the fun pieces. Uh, another fun piece that I'll just add is I managed to see, sneak speaking municipally into the official council record. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, next, Troy Pavlak will have five minutes. Hi, council. Uh, I'm Troy, and I'm excited to speak to you municipally, if you will, today. I, I definitely saw... Well Two done. chuckles and an eye roll and a very heavy groan from council <laughs> as I did that. <laughs> well done. That's branding 101 right there. Uh, the other thing that was just a, a bonus uh, that came after the meeting is similar to what I'm doing right now, itemizing some highlights of the characters. That thread appeared on Reddit later that day, and some of the highlights were listed, some that I've already mentioned to you. And one of them was, quote, a local podcaster attempting to be funny while coming off as incredibly smarmy and extraordinarily patronizing, end quote. So I don't know who they were referring to in that comment um i'm sure there was other podcasters yeah, yeah there's somebody else there uh i saw some praise after the meeting for Councillor karen tang's job chairing the meeting here's your opportunity to also praise her <laughs> i mean uh, you're putting me on the spot there i guess i have to it was a tall order definitely i think one thing that i noticed um she did move the meeting along quite briefly and you know whenever counselors were asking for a second round of questions she'd be like are you sure you really yeah. want to get that? So th- that was definitely great. One thing I noticed is Mayor Sohi was out of town for the bulk of this meeting, but he showed up in a glorious city of Edmonton tracksuit towards the end of the meeting. And in his first set of questions, he really did ask a lot of questions that were good questions for public hearing on zoning by renewal, but for the content of the day, were a little bit irrelevant, I would say, and went on a little bit long. And it did make me think, if he was chairing this meeting instead of Karen Tang, would we have gone an additional six hours? Uh, so <laughs> right. for that reason alone, yeah, I, I could definitely see the the brevity with which the meeting proceeded. Uh, definitely kudos to Karen Tang for keeping that moving along. 
This podcast, too, needs to move along because we have overstayed our welcome once again this week. And if you want something that's shorter um, each day, you can subscribe to The Pulse. It's a daily news briefing that comes right to your inbox from Taproot Edmonton. It tells you what you need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning, and you get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, like, for example, zoning by renewal, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. Uh, as always, you can check it out at taprootedmonton.ca and subscribe right into your inbox. Well, I've gotten rid of my showing up at council quota for, you know, another three or so years. So excited not to do that anymore. But we will continue doing this podcast. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And I'm David. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.